So we're doing a series on Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 32. So we've been kind of looking at like what is what did the early church look at as they started, which is super kind of interesting and encouraging because it's like we're not the only ones to have started a church. In fact, God's been doing a lot of that over the last 2,000 years. And uh, the very first kind of uh, church got all, you know, kicked off and they focused on these, on these things. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we looked at that uh, a little bit in the, in the first week, and I'm just encouraging you to just, um, just listen to as much teaching as you can. You can't listen to enough. There's always more to discover of who God is. But also, you're just bombed with messages from our culture that say this is the way to live. So you've got to immerse yourself in another narrative. So just uh, And so again, if you miss a Sunday, please listen to the podcast, not because I want, to, want you to... I'm sorry, you have to listen to my voice come through. It's not a radio voice, it's just a voice. But there's other guys with great radio voices out there. So just listen to as much as you can. The second thing is they devoted themselves to fellowship. And, uh, and we have done that. Well done, everyone. Pat on the back. Uh, most of you guys engaged with the big feed, and those that couldn't, it's because they couldn't. So just awesome. And uh, we're going to be starting Bay Groups in Term 2. So next Sunday, that's going to be just our big focus uh, on top of the Alpha stuff. But uh, it's about doing community together. So these guys devoted themselves. It wasn't like they waited for it to work out or the socials seemed to get all perfect. Uh, they devoted themselves, I'm going to get to know you, I'm going to make a commitment here to, to you, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which we're going to look at today, and to prayer, which we looked at last week. And as part of the sermon last week, uh, I encouraged you guys to grab one of the cards. Now we've got spare cards in the back if you missed last week's thing and you listened to the podcast and you want a little prayer card. Uh, we've got these cards that have five scriptures that you can pray for your friend that you'd love to meet Jesus. Now I'm going to invite my wife up to share... Um, just a little story about her perspective on how that played out. Hi. So I had a friend who uh, I met through Kindy, and she was a non-Christian and had never been to church. And I guess I just started sharing faith with her, uh, not really intentionally, just, you know, I went to church and then, um, you know, I might tell her about it or I'd been for a prayer walk and she was like, oh, what did you do this morning? And I just told her about it, you know, just quite honestly, just sharing my faith in the everyday with her. And then I really felt, like God stirring up a heart for her that he you know that he loved her and he wanted her you know he wanted her closer and so when it got to praying for a person I picked her and I remember praying for her really intentionally probably more than I've ever prayed for anyone and it was amazing because I felt like my heart and my love really grew for her over that time and we just continued hanging out with the kids and you know Alpha came up at church and I thought, okay, this could be a really cool thing to invite her to. And so I prayed about it, but I was really looking for an opportunity to invite her and I, I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to pressure her and so I was kind of biding my time waiting for the right opportunity and I taught a dance class at the time that she came to and so I made sure that I advertised it in the class for everyone but I made sure that, you know, like when I held out the little flyer I made sure she was looking at it, you know and I was like, okay, she's definitely heard about it I keep saying it and I haven't sat down with her personally but I've told her and I've shown her and I was getting to that point where I was like right, I'm going to have that conversation with her and then completely out of the blue one morning she said to me me, we weren't even talking about God, and she said to me, oh, I've been thinking about doing that Alpha course. What's that Alpha course like? And I tried to act really, you know, casual about it. And I was just like, oh, 
oh, yeah, no, oh, yeah, that, that's a good idea. Yeah, no, that's cool. But she said I actually wasn't that casual at all, and she could tell that I was actually really excited. And it was so amazing. So I didn't even invite her personally. The Holy Spirit really stirred something in her through all that prayer. I felt like it was so amazing. It was such an encouragement to me as well as her because it was such an answer to my prayers. And she came and did Alpha, and I did it with her because she was um, quite shy and um, just just really new to faith. And I wanted to be there to kind of answer questions that she had afterwards. And, and it was just a really lovely thing to do as well for me to go through that process and that journey again. And then at the end, she became a Christian, which was so exciting. I got to do that with her. And then she got baptised. And it was just, it's actually one of the highlights of my life, really. <laughs> and so um, I just want to encourage you guys to engage with the prayer. It's, it's just so lovely to, to, to pick a person and to pray for them and then to see what God does in their life. And you know, every journey is not going to look like that, but um, God will be doing things in their lives. So the little cards are up at the table and they just give you a really um, good idea of what to pray and how to pray if you're unsure. Yeah. On the other highlight of your life. <laughs> it is exciting though when you see that happen. And Jen just makes it sound so normal, but she did a number of things that are awesome. Number one, she didn't uh, hide her faith. And for some of us, I think even just going to work tomorrow and when someone asks you, what did you do this weekend? Say you went to church. Now don't put it at the end because that's just awkward. Stick it in the middle Oh, yeah, I watched the rugby on Friday night, went to it on Saturday night, went to church Sunday morning, we did some stuff, and it's sort of in there. But then at least you're nailing your colours to the mast, you know, about the fact you're a Christian. Uh, the other thing is Jen's running a secular dance class. So it's not a Christian, you know, we kind of make things Christian. It's just a normal dance class. And at this normal dance class, she's like the best, she'd hold up these flyers. The best thing I've ever done was become, I've ever, you know, was to become a Christian. And I'm not just a normal Christian, I'm a raging Christian, as you can tell. She'd say that, didn't you? And then, you know, you should do this course, it's awesome. Now, this is. I'm like, I mean, she's an evangelist, so she's crazy bold, but it's like, good on you, you know? And the thing is, sometimes we can lose confidence in the gospel to change lives, and we've lost our faith a bit. That this, and here's the thing, is that when you invite somebody or you say something, it feels weak, it feels foolish, it feels like your words are just dropping to the ground, you're like, why have I developed a stutter all of a sudden? You know, it's like, but here's the thing, it's the power of God for salvation. And the thing is, we give Him our little loaves and fishes, then He does the miracle. That's the way it always works. So we take a step of faith, we say some stuff, you probably won't feel like you're, you're Billy Graham at that moment, to be honest. You'll feel like it's kind of really lame normally, apart from Jen and other evangelists where they're really bold, but it's like, but the thing is, you just have no idea what it's doing. So I want to encourage you, we're going to do this regularly, just pray for our friends to come to meet Jesus and grab those cards. And I'm giving you another rev up and we get Jen up here because it's like, let's not, let's not have a rev up last week and then forget about it. Let's be persistent and faithful in prayer. We devote ourselves to prayer and our communal life with the Lord, our private world with Jesus, we're, still, we're fighting for that space and that, but we're also not just praying for the new iPhone, we're praying for our friends and the other things that are actually really important. His kingdom come. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This is to communion. They devoted themselves to this, uh, this sacrament that we're going to take this morning, and that's what we do every week. Uh, and I want to explore that this morning. Now, looking at the cross, I mean, we've got to keep coming back to the cross. 
Like this is the center of the Christian faith. So it's, we don't just look at this at Easter. We're going to keep on looking at the cross because this was one of the pillars of the early church. They'll keep coming back to those events of Easter and there's something about those events that turned the world upside down. A revolution began over that weekend and so they committed themselves to the breaking of bread, to entering into that story. And as you, for those that have done the big picture, the, the Bible is one big narrative it's one big story of God's redeeming, restoring work. And the early church knew this. They, they knew how the Old Testament would connect to the events of the New Testament, as we would call it now. They just had some whole little letters floating around. But uh, they knew how it connected in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. I'm sorry that it's so small, by the way. Um, I've, I'm still working out, as you can tell, how to drive that thing. So um, get your binoculars out or, um, or just ask a young person to tell you... Um, <laughs> And in fact, if you do have your Bibles, I'd love you to bring your Bibles or your iPhones or iPads or whatever. Turn to 1 Genesis 15. Um, and that's the kind of a text we're going to sit with a little bit today. It's good for you to have that on the radar. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For what I received I passed on to you is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That this was part of the big narrative. They knew all these connecting scriptures that led to this moment. So the early church saw this event tied into the great story of scripture. So what I want to do today in the time of God, now this is, we're going to be ripping through stuff and there's so many angles and so many threads that we could look at as we look at the, the Old Testament into the New. But what I want to look at today is how Genesis 1 connects to the covenant in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 how this leads to the Exodus and the Passover and how this all comes together on Good Friday. Got it? Diagram in your head? Yeah, a whole lot of people switched off. Okay, so we're going to look Genesis 1 through to the covenant, Genesis 12, 15, through to the Exodus and the Passover, through to Good Friday. Okay, now there's all sorts of other threads and stuff we're going to be missing out, but I just find this interesting how this kind of all ties together. You cool? All right, so Genesis 1. Everyone's like, oh, here we go again. We're going to work our way through the whole Bible. Let's start at Genesis 1. So God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, of all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now the word for image uh, can also be translated as imprint. So when God created us, he pressed the imprint of his presence on us. So his presence was always meant to fill human existence and experience. It was always meant to be the sense of us in communion with his beautiful presence. He created us and he put his imprint. Every person in the bay has an imprint of God on them. They're created in such a way that they're designed to house the presence of God as his imprint. And in Genesis 2 verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. Very early on in the story before the fall, there's the imprint and there's also the responsibility of stewarding and caring for all of creation. And so there's the sense of his presence and the sense of a responsibility to care for creation. Now there's the fall and this rebellion, this rejection of this beautiful harmony. And so since the fall of Adam and Eve, it has been the intent of God to restore his rule and reign on earth through humanity. Through humanity, his, his heart has been, I want to get back to that place. And so the story of redemption and restoration begins. Now we're fast forwarding heaps of scriptures here, but 
In the Bible, in Genesis 15, we read that God makes this promise to this guy, Abraham. Abram. And he says to him in Genesis 15, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so your offspring shall be. So God makes this promise to Abram that his family will flourish. And Abram chooses to believe God. This is going to happen. And God says uh, something to Abram that he finds harder to believe. I am the Lord who brought you out of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So Abram is from this place called Ur, which was uh, probably modern day Turkey. And uh, at this point of the story, he's now in Israel. Now, um, Israel these days is fairly dry, but back then it was called the Fertile Crescent by um, archaeologists today. They call it this the Fertile Crescent. It was a lush, beautiful place. The soil was rich. It was a great part of the world to live in, much like New Zealand these days. And so God starts making these promises to Abram. Now, the reason that he's making these promises to Abram is he wants this, this people to rise up, the nation of Israel, And through this nation, he wants the world to see what it looks like to go back to Genesis 1, where there's the presence of God and the stewarding of creation. He wants these people to model it so that all the nations would be blessed. In Genesis 12, that's the promise. I will bless you so that all the nations will be blessed. It was always God's plan. So from the fall through to Genesis, uh, this early covenant, there's this desire of God for things to be restored and for this nation to model what it looked like. So Abram's like, this is insane. Not only do you promise that I'll have offspring like the stars, how many of us are freaked out about that? Joe and Chris are about to have their fourth. I'm like, oh, Lord have mercy. Stacey and Hedina, some friends of mine, they've got 10 kids. I'm like, you know, three is more than enough. And like, Abram's excited about this. Some ways, me as the stars, mate, slow down. Have you thought about the sleepless nights involved in that situation? But there's this promise that out of the, and, and it happens. But let's, let's not go forward here too much. Because Abraham is like, well, he asked the Lord in Genesis 15, how will I know that I'll gain possession of it? And so the reality is that at the, the uh, culture of the time, it was tough. It was a brutal place. And people's words were broken all the time. It was a violent place. It was survival of the fittest. There wasn't the law and order that we have now where we can ring the police if things get a bit messy. There wasn't the justice system we have or anything like that. It was a wild and tough place. And so uh, what would happen in that time is that people would make covenants with one another. Now, covenants were a big deal, huge deal. Uh, and so what Abram's doing is he's fishing for a covenant. He's like, so God's saying all this stuff, but are you just saying it? Or are you prepared to put your money where your mouth is? He's fishing. How will I know? <laughs> he's fishing. Can I have a covenant, please? And so the Lord replies to him, you can read this in Genesis 15, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a young dove and a young pigeon. Abram at this point's like, yes, it's covenant making time. Covenant maker. Uh, I've had very little sleep, uh, so just bear with me. So this is this is how a covenant would take place in in this time. And this it's so important we understand. This is incredible. So we're going to pick on some people. Karen. All right. So we've got Karen. So Karen. Is um, he is the humble shepherd? Okay, Karen. Yeah, look at him, 
humble shepherd. It is. He's the humble shepherd. Now we're going to pick on someone. Mel's not here, so this is awkward, okay? But I'm going to, Jen, just for the sake of less awkward because my wife, okay? So then you've got Jen, the fierce warrior queen, okay? Now that again is really apt. Super, don't have to imagine too much here. So here's the situation between Jen and Karen. So Jen, uh, so Karen's got all this livestock and he's got this sheep and he's got this farmland and his tribe are well fed and healthy, but this is a dangerous land and he's a prime target for shenanigans and general pillaging, okay? Lee, uh, Jen, on the other hand, she's the warrior queen. And so no one's gonna mess with her or her clan because she's, uh, she's got all these warrior princesses that she's in charge of and they're like tough. And you don't mess with them, right? Just correct, metaphorically and literally, you just don't mess with, with Jen because it's not only her, but her warrior queens. So in the midst of all the killing and fighting, though, they get hungry. They would love some lamb chops and some potatoes. So it's like what would happen is that Jen and Karen would get together and they would cut a covenant. And you always would cut a covenant. And so they would get, uh, they would sacrifice a couple of sheep or two or whatever, and they would cut these animals from the tail to the snout, from the nose, like chop them in half. There's a whole different world. Okay, I know this is all gross and stuff, but they would. So what they would do is they'll get these animals and they'll cut them in half, right down the middle, a number of animals, and they would uh, separate them. And it's good the kids are out. <laughs> this is awesome. Some of you guys are like yeah. so they would like braveheart. They would separate them uh, and make this corridor of blood with these two animals either side. And what they would do is they would stand at opposite ends of this corridor and then they would walk down the corridor and swap places. And this would symbolise that a covenant was taking place. And they are saying that if I break my word, would I become like these animals? Does that make sense? So then they swap, they walk, they swap places, and once they re- reached the other side, as far as society was concerned, they weren't two individuals anymore. They were one, equally one, in resource, in identity, and in purpose. They'd be one, and so they would change their names. So Kieran uh, would become Kieran, the warrior shepherd, and Jen, the princess warrior, would be, be the warrior shepherd, and they would swap identities and they would swap names. Now, uh, Kieran has access to all of Jen's fierce warrior queens. And uh, so he gets to protect all of his livestock and his crops. And Jen has access to the lamb and potatoes. And they have all, they share their resources and they are one thing. The final thing that they would do is they would get a knife and they would make a cut uh, on, their, um, on their arms or somewhere and they would rub dirt in it uh, to make a scar. And that would be the scar, that would be this public um, uh, sign that they've made a covenant together. And that is how, now, the, all, now all of this, just to credit the genius behind this, isn't me. This is uh, Mike Breen, an outstanding book uh, called Co- um, Covenant and Kingdom. Just for the nerds, they are, every week I give you homework, but like if, and good, good luck if you're trying to stay on top of the reading list. But that's an outstanding book, so he, I'm drawing from him this morning. So God says to Abram, go get me these animals. And he's like, it's covenant making time. You can read this in Genesis 15. It's very interesting. He cuts the animals in two. He arranged the halves opposite each other. And it says that when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. 
In the Bible, uh, fire symbolizes often the presence of God. So God comes and he walks and he, and he moves down this corridor, this covenant that had been made. And so uh, two become one. It's interesting that Abram doesn't walk down the corridor. God is saying that uh, if I break my deal, let me become like this. And if you break the deal, I will become like this. Interesting, eh? So Abram, so the fire pot, and but but Abram gets all the benefits. So in that moment, um, Abram ta- takes part of God's name, and in the Old Testament, the Hebrew name for God was Yahweh, and so he takes part of that name and becomes Abraham, and he gets. This is the stink part of the deal for Abraham. <laughs> At this point, there's a little uh, chop chop involved. Um, <laughs> He gets the snip, and it's this, uh, not the whole thing, just a little bit. And, uh, and, it become, and they had this covenant, and it's this, uh, it's this physical sign of the covenant that's been made. And two become one in this moment, and God covenant. It's a huge, can you start to see how big a deal it is, this covenant language? It's huge. God makes this covenant where two become one. And so out of this covenant, Abram's family grows, eventually moves to Egypt. And again, fast-forwarding so much of the story, his, his family multiplies like rabbits. Um, and eventually, after Joseph passes away and hundreds of years have passed in Egypt, they are enslaved. And there's this clash of kingdoms with uh, Moses representing God before the ruler of the age, Pharaoh. And then in Exodus 6 verse 5, it says this, God says, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the, Israel, whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. And so the Israelites leave Egypt because, and again, so much of the story we don't have time to explore, but because after, on that 10th plague, a lamb is sacrificed and they, they put the blood over the doors Of the lamb over the doors, and uh, and out of that, they uh, they escape Egypt. They leave slavery. They find freedom. They take this journey of formation in the desert, where they are taught to worship the Lord, and to be His people, and to learn His heart, and to learn His laws. And the, um, and the commandments are given and these instructions about how to live beautifully are given. Some of it's complex and tricky and weird and we don't understand. But God's heart is that they would be this beautiful example of living in harmony with him and in a right relationship with the world around them. And they eventually come into the promised land. Now, uh, I'm actually off to Aussie first thing tomorrow to speak for um, four uh, at this youth thing, and I'm looking at Joshua. So interesting because Joshua takes, um, he takes the land, this land that was promised, and God just what he does through that book is just really interesting. But eventually, they they have this land, uh, but they fail to live up to what God longs for them to do. They they just keep rejecting Him. They keep choosing their own way. Now I used to look down at Israel, and I used to be like, Israel, you muppets, just. Come on, man. He's like right there, you know, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, all that stuff. It's like he's right there, and you just, and then he gives you this beautiful land, and you can't just keep it together. 
And then the more I look at my own life, I'm like, oh, I'm just like Israel. I'm just like Israel. So he gives me everything. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to still choose to do it my way. Thank you. I don't really trust you. I like you being over here in this part of my life, but I'm not sure about the whole thing. And so I look at the whole thing now and I'm like, I get it. They, and the prophets come and they're calling him back to this life. And, uh, and, it's just like, and, and eventually there's consequences for choosing our own way. There always has been. And, uh, and they're exiled. And fast forwarding, this is, this is where the early church knew the story inside and out. They knew the covenants that had been made. They knew they celebrated every year. They remembered that God was the God that took them out of slavery and brought them into freedom. They remembered this every, and they remembered it by taking this meal called the Passover every single year where they remembered the meal that they took the night that they escaped Egypt. They, they remembered it by taking the same meal. Can you imagine every single year? This is why the church calendar is so good for us. Every year we cycle through these things that remind us of the story of Jesus. And the Israelite nation did the same. They would every year cycle through these things that would help, help them remember who God is because we're always forgetting who He is and what He's done. The reason that in the Old Testament they would build altars uh, out of stones often was so that as, in generations to come as they would go past a particular structure, they'll be like, oh, that's where God delivered us from uh, the Egyptians and took us through to the Red Sea or that's where God saved us from this battle or whatever it may be. So they would, be re they would remember what God has done. So they did this. Now, early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And so they, the symbolism over Easter is just extraordinary because what does Jesus do? It's over the Passover that his death and resurrection takes place. Like that's huge. He is, it's not like, oh, we should just pick a random time. He picks the time where God freed the people from slavery. Oh, so good. So Jesus gathers his disciples during the Passover meal and there's this new exodus that's going to take place. For once and for all, and Jesus is the full expression of what Israel was meant to be. He's finally done it. He was the full expression of what Israel was meant to be. So this becomes part of the way of thinking of, of, of Christ who frees us, who, who brings us an exodus from sin and judgment, judgment and brings us into the promised land. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This is, just as a quick aside, this is why the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread because we can spend a lifetime exploring the Scriptures and looking at what happened on Easter and still not plumb the depths of God's goodness and glory. I mean, this, it all weaves together in this, in this moment. And the early church was spinning out, so they devoted themselves to this moment. Matthew 2 verse 13, it's interesting because echoing back earlier to Jesus' story, Jesus has to escape to Egypt from Herod. And uh, with his, his mother and, um, uh, and escaping the wrath of Herod, he eventually returns. And it's interesting in Hosea 11 verse 1, it says, Out of Egypt I called my son, one of the many prophecies pointing to Jesus. Jesus himself left Egypt. I mean, there's just all these things that weave through. And then Jesus says this to his disciples. Uh, Matthew 26, 26 to 27, and this is a familiar scripture, but in light of what I've been saying, this is the having the Passover meal. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. Listen, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In the New Testament, we read about God cutting a new covenant. And this time, the covenant is not just between God and the Jewish people, but between God and every human, every person that would choose to accept just the free gift of all the blessings in that covenant. It's for everyone. And the cross this time is the corridor. And the nail wounds on his hands and his feet are the scars. His body was broken. All of the ways that we rejected to fulfill our end of the bargain, he took upon himself and his body was torn. And, that's, and the sign of the new covenant, Jesus carries that sign, signs on his body. That's why when he's resurrected, you can still see the nail scars in his hand. Because that is the sign of the new covenant. Jesus right now stands in heaven uh, with the, 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 the scars on him, the sign. There's been a new covenant made. And he has got the scars, the evidence that this has taken place. And two become one when we choose to accept Jesus. Two become one. He gets all we have. <laughs> Sweet deal. You know, all of our, not everything. He just gets it all. And all of our brokenness and our pain, he heals and he cleanses. All of our sin, he removes as far as the east is from the west. And we get everything that he's got. That is a good deal. I mean, that's the best deal in the world. And we get to be, uh, in Romans 8, 17, heirs of the kingdom of God. I mean, that is just mind-boggling. Everything of God's is now accessible to us. So the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread because Jesus' death and resurrection were at the center of God's plan to redeem and restore the world. It ties the whole story together. The Exodus was the undeniable proof of God's love for Israel. And the cross is God's undeniable proof that He loves every single one of us. No thinking Jew of understanding could take the Passover without thinking of God's great love. And no thinking Christian of understanding can take the Lord's Supper without thinking of God's great love. It, was, it wasn't as impossible to take either and not know this truth that God loves us. That's the ultimate expression. All the worst bits of the world were thrown upon Jesus. He absorbs it. His body was broken. He just did, his body was torn apart that we, could, uh, that we could know his love and that we could come into a relationship with him and that we could know freedom. This blows my mind. It does, the fact that, this is, guys, this is, the, this is the filter. If you want to know you're doing Christianity right, this is it. It feels like freedom more and more and more and more. As every year goes past, you should feel more and more free. That's what he does. That's what he's in the business of doing. How cool is that? So like everything that God calls you to is because he wants you to know his love and know his freedom. He wants to move you from a place of guilt and fear to a place of grace and freedom. That's what he does. Guilt and fear to grace and freedom. That's all he's about. Now, all the stuff that you're like, you know, um, we talk about this next week on the Big Picture Course, but it's like it's good to read your Bible. Man does not live by word alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. This, this, this book feeds our souls, right? Now, um, some of you guys haven't read your Bible much this week. It's all good. All good. 
Right, I'm serious. You can come, whatever, man. If you feel stink about it, come to the cross. You're forgiven. It's okay. Guilt and fear to grace and freedom. But get this, his invitation for you to read the Bible is because it'll bring more grace and freedom to you. It's like everything he calls us to brings us to life. That's his ultimate goal. He died so that we would know resurrection life. And then he rose again, and the Bible says, as the first fruits of that, res- of that life that we are called into. And the Bible says that he's transforming us from glory to glory. Now, again, just quick theology um, course here. I think I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Some three big words in Christian theology words that you can all learn today and be real clever cookies, okay? Justification. Now, justification is the theological term for what happened on the cross. We are justified before God. We're made right. We're made holy. We get that great exchange. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. And what did he mean? Everything that's required, even for the most exacting conscience, everything has been accomplished on that cross. It is finished. You don't have to work. You don't have to strive. You just have to receive the free gift of God's grace and mercy. Hallelujah. Justified. That's it. Then there's this process of being sanctified. Now, Philippians 3.16 says this, So now let us live up to what we have already attained. Philippians, it's an easy one to remember. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Justification. Philippians 3.16, So now let us live up to what we have already attained. Sanctification. What what, uh, Paul is saying there is, let's become who we already are. So this isn't a works thing to make you acceptable to God. You don't have to like prove that you're good enough for God. You don't. You've been accepted and you've been justified. So now let us live up to what we have already attained. We've been declared holy. Let's become holy. We've been declared free. Well, let's get free from all those addictions and brokenness and all this. You, you are dearly loved. Well, let's start dealing with the lies that say otherwise and start to believe that we're precious. We've been formed in our mother's womb by him and that he hasn't made a mistake including all the wobbly bits and all the bits and bobs. We'll say, whatever, man, let's, let's start believing it. So let's be sanctified to actually become who we already are. What a, that's the journey of our lives. We're in formation to become more like Jesus as individuals and as a church until the day that we die. We're just going to be formed. And my grandfather, who, um, who I'm going to talk about all the time, he is the greatest example for me that this isn't a theory, it's a reality. That if you choose to yield to God day in, day out, He does a beautiful sanctifying work where you become more holy. You don't notice it's happening half the time and and you feel like you're always falling off the wagon and having to fight to get back on the wagon. But one day you become a wagon dweller and then before you know it, you're 60 or 70 and your grandchildren are bragging about how beautiful your soul is. That's what happens, what He does. And then we get glorified. He brings the work to completion. One day we will stand before Him and He'll finish the job. And it's like, ah, oh, and come and enter into my rest, he says. So what a sweet invitation. Come and chill. You know, and he brings, and what, that's, it's insane. Again, I've got to keep reminding you guys, you're all going to die. We kind of forget sometimes. You're all going to die. Yay, be encouraged. You are. And it's like, we're all, everyone goes through this. At some point, we're going to see them face to face. And it's like, and the psalmist says that our life is but a breath. <sighs> Right, thousands of years have been ticking along. It's like, here's Sam's life. <laughs> here's Nan's life. You know, here's Joe's life. And it's like, so I, and, and the reason I say this is because we've got to get perspective. And Jesus invites us into life. He invites us into resurrection life. And then one day he's going to bring the work to completion. Hallelujah. But until that day, we keep coming back to the table. 
and remembering the death and resurrection that changed everything for us and changed everything for the world. The job's been done. And now we look forward to his return. And until he returns, we are a body that continue to share this great news. You can be free. You can, be, you can know freedom. You can know grace. You can know mercy. You can know that, you're, that there's been an imprint of the divine on you. And you've been made by this God who, who just thinks you're awesome and wants to be near you and wants to love you and set you free. Romans 5, verse 5, there's so much in the... I'm going to come into land. We're going to take communion, obviously, this morning. Imagine if we didn't. <laughs> uh, but of course, we're going to take communion as we finish this morning. That would be the biggest anticlimax ever. Um, they devoted themselves to... This was central to the early church. And there's so much in the epistles that explore this. Romans 5, verse 5, and hope... And talking about... And this, again, it's interesting, Romans 5. It's well worth... That's homework, Okay. If you haven't read the Bible for a while, can you read Romans 5 today? It's just stunning what's going on there. It talks about the, the formation of our character and there's so much in there. It says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So much there. Let me say it again. God's love has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. He just wants to put, I love that language, poured out. The love of God poured out. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Though we had broken the covenant, though we were the ones that walked away, he chose to become like those animals and he chose to be broken and his blood shed so that we could be forgiven. He took the consequences upon himself and then gives us all the benefits back. It's extraordinary. And so what I would like to do, obviously, as we finish this morning, is to take communion and to receive his mercy. And to, again, we're intentional about the fact, as a church, we take this just about every week. Uh, the only Sunday we haven't taken it was our launch Sunday because that was a crazy party and... Um, uh, yeah, we just uh, had a lot going on that Sunday, but that's the only Sunday so far that we haven't taken communion. And so I love that. I really do. And uh, my dad, as an Anglican vicar, is very proud of me for what we're doing here uh, every week. Uh, this, is, this is a place that we come. And I, I pray that today as you take the bread and, uh, and the grape juice that you would be mindful that Jesus said, this is the blood of my new covenant. That there'd be a, a layer of depth that as you take communion this morning, it would be uh, in the awareness that he's done this for you. And that this is a covenant he's made. He's not going to break that. He's got the scars to show this is this, I'm serious about this. And that we simply get to receive. And if uh, there's stuff that you're carrying today, just know that you can let that go at the table this morning. Like, it would be such, I, I feel challenged sometimes when, when I, I feel like I want to hold on to my sin. I don't know if you guys feel like this because I don't feel like, it seems too easy. And it's, um, it doesn't, it's, it's a scandal. It's a scandal that I could be forgiven. So, just like that, it doesn't seem fair. And so what I want to do is punish myself a bit more longer and sit on it and dwell in my little pigsty for a little longer. And sometimes I feel like God's like, 
bro, I died so that you could be freed from that. Like, don't negate my cross. Don't just, don't remove that. I died so that you could be free. It was costly. Cost me everything that you could be free from it. And yet, unfair, that's why it's called good news. It's the good news of the gospel that we can be free. So if there's stuff that you're carrying from this week or from your life, and it keeps popping back up and it keeps niggling you and it keeps telling you who you are or whatever it may be, why don't you give it to Jesus again this morning and just ask the Lord to take it from you. He's faithful and just and he will remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And so we can confess our sins to the Lord this morning and not to, again to dwell on the stink parts of our lives but to walk out of slavery into a new promised land of freedom. There's a new exodus. There's a Passover that's taken place and we can be free because of the blood of the Lamb. It's an extraordinary thing this morning. Let's stand together.